Welcome to Lifeful. This is George G. And the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Heather McGowan. Heather, are you ready to do this? Let's roll, George. I'm ready. All right. All right let's go. Heather is a keynote speaker. She's a n- numerous time author, a Forbes contributor. She's an eyeglass addict and a future of work strategist. Heather, excited to have you on. Tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work and why you do what you do. Well, if I look back over the course of my life in brief, nothing ever would make sense. But the one thread line through it is I was always curious why humans behave the way they do. And so that led me through product design, design strategy, boutique investment banking, academia, and then into the world of keynote speaking and writing books. And along the way, I worked on the supply and the demand side of talent, essentially, with academia and corporate. And I found we were not creating the workforce that we needed, nor were we really understanding what we didn't work. So that led to this big sort of exploration of the future work that started more than 10 years ago. So we don't really understand what the workforce is and what we need and or chicken of the egg. We're not creating folks that are going to be able to thrive in whatever that's going to be. Both really. So we train people for work, say, in education, like they're going to do one thing. We ask little kids what they're going to be when they grow up. We ask each other what we do. We ask university students if they're in university what their major is. We hyper-focus on a point in space when things have never been moving more quickly. And in the workforce, we organize work around the largely routine and predictable tasks. We pick people to be leaders, managers, or bosses based upon their desire to be a boss, their confidence being an unquestioned expert, and their propensity to myopically drive productivity with fear, domination, burning people out along the way. And it's not working. None of that's working. So what we need is a workforce full of people who are intrinsically motivated, inspired to have a connection to what they do, feel some self-expression at work, feel some belonging at work. It's not going to happen for everybody. Some people, a job's a job, and that's fine. But for there's a lot of people who want to feel meaning in their work, and they want to work for an organization that they feel proud about, that feels that it's making the impact on the world they want to make, that it's an expression of their values. They can bring their full authentic self to work. And their boss, manager, or leader cares about them and their development and maximizing human potential by helping them become better versions of themselves. That's a different profile of a leader. So Chris Shipley and I wrote a book called The Adaptation Advantage prior to the pandemic, ended up being an accidental guide for the pandemic. And then coming out of the pandemic, we wrote The Empathy Advantage Leading the Empowered Workforce, which is getting folks ready for this world where the greatest asset in your organization is unequivocally humans and helping them become the next best version of themselves is the leader's job now. It's much more about the legacy you leave behind, the succession, the pipeline, than it is necessarily the productivity you drive today. I love it. And we've got our work cut out for us, don't we? But it's all upside, right? We've got yes. humans and we're not maximizing their potential at all. And we can. <laughs> I am of the mind, certainly, that, well, why wouldn't, so, so to, to, to your point, some people, a job is a job, but there are a lot of folks out there, if they, okay, so how do I go from where I am right now, assuming that I'm not just going through the motions and collecting a paycheck, my ears perk up and say, you know what, I would like to feel like I was doing more purpose-driven work for an organization that was meaningful. How do I, how do I get closer to that? 
Um, first, we we really have to put a little harder of a stake in the heart of shareholder of stakeholder capital shareholder capitalism. We you know the uh, business roundtable and which is a collection of CEOs of America's largest companies in 2019 said it's not working anymore. We've had 50 years of putting investors ahead of communities, people, employees, even customers, and it didn't work. It didn't work. We ended up burning people out. We ended up getting lower levels of engagement, higher levels of disengagement. And John Hagel's research from Deloitte was we had a lower return on assets. So we weren't actually creating real value. So now we have this opportunity to create real value. Um, One of the places I think we need to start is with our leaders. We have picked leaders who are unquestioned experts who can make decisions in certainty. Well, that works fine when you have certainty, but we don't have certainty anymore. And if you're an unquestioned expert making decisions in certainty, you're a liability. Because at almost every level in an organization now, people have reporting, people, uh, leaders have people reporting to them who have skills and knowledge they don't have. And we haven't adapted to that reality that you may be a leader deferring to somebody in your team, asking for their input or saying those four scary words. I do not know. Let's find out. We, do, we have encouraged our people to pretend they know. Um, and I think that one of the reasons Amy Edmondson's psychological safety thing took off as much as it did was it makes people feel safe to say, I don't know, because if you don't know, that's the first step in learning. That's the first step in finding out. So one of the things we need to do is think differently about that leadership profile and acknowledging the people who are currently leaders came through a very different system than they're going to have to lead through. So if you're a leader today, you likely came through a system where you had a boss who was an unquestioned expert. They might have driven you a little hard with domination or fear. It might even have been humiliation. You might have sacrificed long hours at the office and weekends. And now you've got a workforce that say, I'm not doing that. And I'm not putting up with that. And these are the conditions under which I'm not going to work. And you're saying, why doesn't anybody want to work? People do actually want to work. They want to work in an environment where they have agency and autonomy and trust. Because if you look at what happened during the pandemic, we sent everybody home hoping we'd have business continuity. And except for the sectors where we really had to close down, we did. We trusted our people and they performed. And now for some reason, we're not trusting our people. I need to figure out why that is. I don't know why that is. We need to continue to trust our people and empower them with agency. How much does do quarterly reports that publicly traded companies have to make? Uh, how much does that play into it? it? There's economic realities, but the economic realities are if people are disengaged and burnt out and not showing up for work because they're disengaged and burnt out, you're not going to reach those quarterly re- reports. So it's, it's not going to work because it comes all in the back of humans. And when we make decisions like layoffs might be inevitable sometimes, but it's our first reaction way too often, cut 10%, the street will be happy. Well, you cut that 10%, that's 10% of people's lives, and then you impact the rest of the organization. You get a 7.7% chance that more people are gonna quit because they're gonna quit before they get fired. And then you've got a decline in productivity with the rest of the team, everyone's disenfranchised. So it's a huge productivity hit. And I think Jeffrey Pfeiffer's research really here is really interesting from Stanford who says, a lot of layoffs do not achieve even the economic outcomes are intended because you're laying people off generally with severance packages. These are high paying people. And then when you hire them back, you have to pay them more. And in their absence, you got to pay contractors. So what objective are you actually meeting other than to tell the street you cut 10%? 
Are there organizations that are, for lack of a better term, doing it right or trying to? Mm-hmm. Yep. And one of the ones I like to point to is um, it's the uh, company that makes Amica hair care products, and they also make uh, even New York hair care products. I think the umbrella term for both of them is called Heat Makes Sense. Um, I met uh, the CEO at actually an event in Scottsdale and uh, then went and spoke for their company. He leads with authenticity, vulnerability. He's honest with their people to the, you know, he's sometimes he's their venture back company. He's like, sometimes I can't talk about this, but this is what I can talk about. This is what I know. Um, his board was like, you got to bring everybody back to the office. And he said, why we're growing 45% a year and it's working. And so it, and it's not about where work takes place. Everyone gets distracted by that. It was about he listened to his people and how they worked best. And they do come together at different periods of time. But he was and they have manufacturing. You have to deal with the fact that people can't manufacture in their spare bedroom. And you got to figure out fairness. But he is uh, authentic. He is vulnerable. He is real. And he tries to bring out the best in his people. To, to quote Francis Frey, he does his best to improve people in his presence so it lasts in his absence Oof. and that's i think what we're looking for and if a company can do it a lot of us can do it yeah well i certainly agree and autonomy and agency and trust those are things that i think i i certainly want and a lot of the people that i interact with want and really greatly value and I know that when I'm most effective, I'm being vulnerable with people and telling people about the mistakes I've made and how I don't have all the answers. Um, and so it does start with the CEO or the leader and they they give everybody else permission to do that. Right, right. And one of the things I need to clarify is because I've, I've done a bunch of podcasts ahead of the book and people said to me, doesn't being empathetic mean you have to understand people Feel bad for them when they're in a bad spot. Make accommodations for them and expect less. And I said, well, yeah, there are certainly moments. Somebody's parent dies. You want to make something. Or somebody goes through something horrible. They're going through cancer. But on a day-to-day basis, if you're empathetic with people, that means you understand what motivates them and you help them become more intrinsically motivated and they perform at a higher level, not a lower level. But for some reason, empathy, just like a soft skill, gets considered to be something that is less competitive when I actually think it can make you much, much more competitive. Yeah. Yeah. I think that uh, the people who feel like it's going to make you anti-competitive or less competitive are are flat out wrong. I think, (laughs) you know, really you you talked about how the most valuable of an asset that that companies talk about are people are our greatest asset, but do you really believe that? And the reality is that they certainly are. And the more you empower people, the harder they're going to work and the more effective they're probably going to work. Absolutely. And this is something that's included in, in our book, The Empathy Advantages. There's a recalculation of the S&P 500 based upon the enterprise value, so the total value of the companies and the source of that value. So in 1975, something like 83% of the value came from tangible stuff, property, plant, and equipment. And the rest of it was intangible, which is people, ideas. Fast forward to 2020, 90% of the value is intangible. That's human activity. So while we treat humans as a cost to contain, they are the assets that are creating the most value in your organization, but we haven't caught, we haven't caught up in terms of how to treat humans as the most important asset in the organization. And from an accounting standpoint, humans are still a cost on the balance sheet. We need to fix that. So hopefully... Hopefully, companies catch up to this uh, mm-hmm. and it happens quickly. 
if I am a, an individual contributor within an organization, not in leadership, but I'm interested in, how, how do I advocate for myself? Um, there's an expression, people don't leave jobs, they leave bosses. And since jobs are going to change so much and they should change because, you know, technology is coming in and consuming things, the business model is going to change. We have to assume that a job isn't fixed. It's always moving. You need to be moving with it. If that's a reality, and I believe it is, you need to pick a leader who's going to be your advocate, who's going to help you grow. So instead of saying, I'm joining this company for this job, it's like, and I don't know who my boss is, or I don't really like that woman or man or whomever. You got to pick the person who becomes your mentor and your coach, who helps you become that next best version of yourself, regardless of where the company is, because the rest of that stuff will work it out if you have a great relationship with your management manager, leader, or boss. So doing my best to select or find somebody within my organization or my, my industry, perhaps both. Yeah. I mean, if you're in a current organization and you like the organization, seek out somebody who could be your mentor, ask to be on their team. If you have a, a, a boss that you hate and you hate your company, then you're not going to change the entire company from the position of being an individual contributor, just not. So find the right environment for you. You're a flower, find the right environment for you to glow over the heat and the light, everything you need to thrive. And that's what we need to think about as our, we have to think about ourselves as individual, uh, like almost organizations. And what are the conditions that will help me thrive? I know I thrive in an environment where people are formal, cordial, you know, familiar, flexible, strict. Um, I like deadlines. I don't like deadlines. You know what? I, I care about mission-driven things in the environment. I care about children and impact in the community. What are the things you care about? What are the environments you like to work in? What are the relationships you like to have? It is the human connections that keep people in organizations. The MIT study found the number one reason people leave is toxic work cultures. Where do toxic work cultures come from? Workaholics. And there's nothing wrong with hustle culture, especially in a startup, you're doing something that's never been done before, or phases in work where there are times we all have to hustle, but we can't have an always hustle culture. It just burns people out. That's a, that's a fact right there. <laughs> this, uh, in, this, this infinity war and assumption that we can just continually get 5% growth or whatever your number is, uh, is an absolute recipe for burnout. I'm sure that we've all experienced that at one point. And I, I, I love that, knowing myself enough to understand what the conditions are that are going to help me to thrive. Um, so that's incumbent on me to be able to do some self-exploration and sort of dig in. Yeah. Like, for example, I love high degrees of ambiguity. I love very chaotic environments. I like to go in when there's a lot of possibilities and I have the freedom to explore and help people set the path. Other people, that would be an absolute shutdown. They like to say, I know what I like to know what I'm doing every day. I like to know that these processes that I've been trained on, I like to rely on my expertise. I like to have no expertise and grow new capabilities every day through ambiguity, but, but that's me. And you might be different. You got to figure out what your jam is. Yeah. The more honest we can be, probably the better. Mm -hmm. I think that that's great. How many pairs of glasses do you have, Heather? My wife says 80, and I say every time you say that, I buy another pair. And so I just <laughs> that number. But I think it's uh, last count, I think it was 29. 29. Okay. All right. And they're right behind me. Those are display cases of glasses, and I change them for each outfit. Oh, I think it's awesome. How long has that been going on? Mm, five or six years. Okay. 
very cool. Fortunately, my prescription does not change that much. That, that that's that's that that's a whole another set of problems right there for sure. <laughs> well, Heather, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? Uh, how can they engage with you for speaking, for consulting, and tell us more about the book? So you can find the most information about me at heathermcgowan.com. It's M-C-G-O-W-A-N. That has all the information on speaking, speaking topics, how to get in touch with me. Um, I get my learning, a lot of my learning from LinkedIn. So find me on LinkedIn. I'm wearing some pair of glasses. I can't remember what pair I'm wearing on there right now. But you connect with me there, tag me in an article, tell me you agree with me, tell me you disagree with me. I learn more when, I, when you disagree with me. Um, that's where my learning comes from. When I'm wrong, I learned more. So tell me I'm wrong and, and um, give me another perspective to consider. Um, the book is called The Empathy Advantage, Leading the Empowered Workforce by Wiley. It's on Amazon, but uh, not there's anything wrong with Amazon. Hit your local bookstore if you can. I love a good indie bookstore. And um, there's information about that on uh, heathermcgowan.com as well as LinkedIn. Excellent. Well, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Heather your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to heathermcgowan.com, H-E-A-T-H-E-R-M-C-G-O-W-A-N.com. Pick up your copy of The Empathy Advantage at your favorite local bookstore or, of course, where everybody else buys books. And then find Heather on LinkedIn as well and connect and question and uh, have a conversation. Thanks again, Heather. Thanks a lot. And until next time, remember, do your part by doing your best.